Good morning, everyone. So glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. As you already heard, we're, we're planning in a few weeks to have a, a time where we're going to be able to come together uh, in a theater. I'm really excited about it. But, you know, the challenge is this, that what we want to be able to do is, uh, is live in wisdom. And it's hard to tell the difference between uh, living in fear and living in wisdom, isn't it? And we, you don't throw everything aside, but you also have to make choices that require faith. And so as you think about whether to uh, join us for worshiping together, I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you uh, what is the difference between fear in your heart and wisdom and faith in your heart. And that God will lead you to make a good decision. That decision might be to stay home. And that's a great decision. If it's made out of, out of faith and what you believe is godly wisdom, then that's what you should do. And if you believe that this is best that you join, well, then it'll be great to, uh, to celebrate during those times with you. So uh, keep that in mind as you work through this week, how you're to respond to this invitation. Well, we're continuing our series called Establish. We're out of Genesis and we're into Exodus. There's only 66 books in the Bible and we're in book two. So it might look like it's, it's going slow, but things are going to pick up in a minute. But it, this, this beginning part of the Bible is just so pivotal in laying a foundation for what God wants to speak to us about through his whole word. And so, uh, so that's where we're taking our time. What we have been focusing on over the past weeks is I don't know that we've been using the word, but we've been describing it. And it's the idea of covenant. That what God wants to have with us is a covenant relationship. And what a covenant is, is where two people or groups of people have come together and decided terms of relationship. That this is what a healthy relationship is going to look like. And it always has two parts to it. It's what you're going to do and it's what I'm going to do. And so we see this covenant, first of all, with, uh, with Adam and Eve. We saw this covenant with Noah and with Abraham. And now this covenant is being uh, stretched to the whole people of Israel. That this is what I'm inviting you into. I, my, my whole agenda in creating humanity is to have a relationship with you. And I'm trying to outline what a healthy relationship with me and uh, with you together, what that looks like. And so we pick this up in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to Israel. Verse 4, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Do you hear what the whole deliverance story is about? Is God taking people out of bondage and drawing them to himself. What a, what a, a warm agenda that God has. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is interesting. He's saying, I long to draw you to myself. 
and to be a, a, a treasured possession. And what that's going to look like is not just me delivering you out of your bondage and oppression, but actually creating a kingdom of priests. What an interesting phrase. Well, this is referring to the idea that they are to stand as a nation, priests to the other nations. That God has called them not only to, to have a special relationship with him, but to actually describe that relationship to other nations so that those other nations can also enjoy the same relationship uh, with God that they're enjoying. So they're to be a kingdom of priests. What a fascinating statement. So it's this idea that we've talked about in the past where they are being blessed to be a blessing. God blesses them, loves them, cares for them, period, just because he wants to. But that blessing stretches so far that he wants them to participate in his work on the earth to be a blessing to others. This is summarized in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says similar things, but it kind of says it in a very succinct way. It says, but you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Wow, that's who you are. If you identify yourself as a Christian, that's who you are. You're, you're chosen, you're royalty, you're holy, set apart for God. Wow, what a, what a high calling to live our life out of. And then it goes on to say, you were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So what is this uh, uh, relationship with God leading us towards? To be a light to the world around us. Here's the challenge with that. This can look a little bit like a bait and switch. And I don't know how you originally came to know and trust in Jesus, but what's often spoken of when people come to Christ is Jesus is going to forgive your sins, you're going to have an eternal relationship with God, and uh, you know, you'll be one with him forever. You'll be in heaven forever. Uh, true enough. But if that's all that's said, then when we read verses like this where you have been called to speak of the, of the majesty and glory of God and, and help others come into relationship. It's like, well, hold on here. That's not exactly what I signed up for. I signed up to have a personal relationship with you. And church is a resource for that. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give my tithes. But, wow, you're asking actually for my life to be oriented toward loving others. And I'm not sure that that's what I signed up for. When you talk about a covenant, it seems like it's the fine print. And so it can look like there's two very different things going on in Christianity. One is about being loved and accepted, and the other is about having this mission that God wants to, to take us on. So when I talk to people about this call to love God, one another, and the world. It's what our, our church is built on. It's the great commandment and the great commission. When I hear people talk about uh, this call to, to love, the main problem that I hear described is, uh, first of all, a tremendous willingness. It's like, yeah, I'm into that, but I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I, I don't know if I can do that. I am barely making it through life on my own, 
and caring for the people that are in close proximity to me, to actually consider being a light to the world around me is a really overwhelming thought. I'm already overwhelmed just caring for the people in my uh, uh, immediate, you know, uh, circle. And so, wow, how do I even begin to do that? They don't even probably want to know about Jesus. And uh, this whole idea of mission is probably for, you know, an elite task force inside of the church. And I'm just not sure that can be me. Don't get me wrong. I want it to be me. But I just feel like my life is so full uh, I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. And I don't know if you felt that way, but I feel that way often. That I, I have a pretty full life. And then when God calls me to stretch even beyond what I feel comfortable doing, I get overwhelmed. I get anxious. And maybe even a little bit resentful. Like, how much more do you want from me? I've given you my whole life. I'm trying to follow you. And you just never seem satisfied enough. You're always pushing me farther into other people's lives and to care for other people. And so what can be our response or solution to feeling overwhelmed? And I think it's simply this. It's, what's, it's what gets shouted in our ears all the time. Love less. The problem that if you feel overwhelmed... If you feel like, uh, you know, dizzy with all of your responsibilities, the obvious problem is you're overly responsible. And so what you need to do is pull back on being loving. Because we all know that loving others is exhausting. And so we need to somehow, and this is the grand belief, we need to somehow balance love with something else. Because if we just throw ourselves into a life of love, we'll be burned out in no time. And so because we need to be reasonable people, thoughtful people, we need to balance love. And we need to say that it's not all that's going on. And, and what, is it, what is it typically balanced with? Well, we use words like wisdom, you know, where I, I have to be wise in the way that I love others. I can't just, you know... Um, totally give my people will just take advantage of me and it won't be helpful for them in the long run and so I need to be wise. Well, that's true. But sometimes uh, what this idea of wisdom really is, is a, a thinly veiled disguise of I need to balance love with uh, self-centeredness, that I've got to care for myself. And if I love, and here's the grand phrase, if I love too much, my life will be out of balance and I won't experience the peace and joy of the Lord. And so since I know that God is a good God, he wouldn't want me to be burned out. And so I need to live a life that's tempered. I need to temper love. Don't get me wrong. We're, 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 you know, I, I want to I wanna engage, but I also want to be reasonable. Is this how you think? I think this way. Is this how you think? I'd like to present a thought to you that I think is quite radical. And it's this. What if what overwhelms us is what isn't loving? What if when we feel overwhelmed in our life, 
whatever area we feel overwhelmed in, is a sign that there's not love there as opposed to too much love there. What if that's the, what if that's the case? Now, let me, uh, let me explain this using the story of Moses in Exodus 18, just a, a few chapters after what we're looking at in this um, covenant relationship that's being des- described in, in chapter 16 and verse 18, we see that Moses is thoroughly overwhelmed. There's, as we said, there's probably two to three million people um, uh, in the nation, and Moses is the only leader. So, I mean, just imagine, I mean, it's overwhelming thinking about our homes or our workplace, you know, and he's got millions of people to care for, and he is thoroughly overwhelmed. So his father-in-law comes and speaks to him about this. This is what Jethro says. Um, What you are doing is not good. Now, I looked up what the word good means. In the good, it means morally good, morally beneficial. Your care for absolutely everybody is burning you out, but it's also not good for the people, is what Jethro goes on to say, that they have... They need more judges, more people to, uh, to settle their disputes. You can't do it all. It's morally uh, unhelpful in, in, in how you're behaving right now. You're not, loving, <laughs> you're not loving the people of Israel enough. You're making it all about you. And it's not all about you. And to the degree that you think that you're unique and it's only going to be about you, you will burn yourself out. And so uh, Jethro sets up a plan and says, look, uh, spread this out. Raise up more leaders. There's other godly people in the land and you can trust them. This is, this is, a, this is a shocking idea <coughs> that... Um, What overwhelmed Moses would be the things in his heart that weren't about love. Um, I'm not going to forecast, but it it could be his his sense of self-importance, that it's it's all about him and, and what he's able to do. So what if, when we feel overwhelmed, that's a sign for us that there's something going on in our heart that is not about love. Wow. That our problem is not that we've loved too much. Burnout, then, is a sign of living outside of love, not living inside of too much love. That's a radical thought. In fact, let's, let's keep pushing this farther. In fact, uh, love is life-giving for all concerned. Now, I mean, we're, we're going to temper this in a moment in that for sure, you know, it can be tiring to love. For sure that's true. But when we talk about being overwhelmed and burned out, maybe there's another thing going on. And maybe it's true that love is actually life-giving, not just for the person who's 
being loved, but the, for the person who's actually giving the love in the first place. I don't know if you've um, had the chance to watch this uh, video series. The first season has been done. They're trying to raise money for the second season. It's called The Chosen, and I, uh, our whole family has watched it, and it's, it's the best for me. I think it's been the best portrayal of the life of Jesus that I've ever seen um, in video. It, it's just fantastic. Well, the story is told there, and we read it in the Bible, in John chapter 4, of uh, Jesus being at a well. He sends his disciples into the village to get some food. And while he's at the well, he meets this woman, and it becomes a, as of course you can imagine, it's Jesus. It becomes a divine encounter. Um, she's radically saved, becomes the, really the first missionary and in, in bringing the gospel into her, uh, into her village. It's amazing. Well, uh, as she goes off, he comes back, uh, the, the disciples come back to Jesus, uh, bringing food, you know? And then Jesus says this. Okay, so, I mean, you want to have a busy schedule, you know, try being Jesus Christ, okay? Like, it describes him, I'm reading through the book of Mark in my daily devotions, and he's being pressed in on every side. It, it, I mean, he has to teach from boats because it's so crowded on the shore, and, and people are, are literally chasing after him. It's really intense. But listen to what he says about this exchange where he was giving love to another. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That he's saying that uh, I, was I was personally nourished. I received nourishment in a moment of giving the love of God away to another person. Isn't that incredible? He was actually built up, not uh, run down by this exchange with this person. Uh, I think about the times when I've had an opportunity to pray with somebody to become a Christian. And sometimes it's been the first time that I've met somebody. Other times it's been I've known them for, for a very long time. Well, wow, I tell you, in that moment of seeing somebody be born again, uh, any sense of cost or tiredness or whatever is, is just absent. And I am as blessed and encouraged, I think, as the person who made a decision to follow Jesus. That the... Uh, you know, my giving of love to them just feels pale in light of what their humility and faith has done for me and what, what God has done in the middle of that moment. I will leave those moments just energized. And so maybe it's true. Maybe it's true that, that love actually isn't exhausting. That maybe there are other things that are exhausting but not love. Here's why I think this is important. If love needs to be balanced, okay, if you do too much love, then what really we're saying is that God is mean. Because in Matthew chapter 22, he says 
Jesus says that the, that the sum of the Bible, if you were to take all that's written in God's word and you were to summarize it, it's summarized in this way. Love God and love your neighbor. So if that's the, the only thing that God is asking us to do, and that thing that he's asking us to do is exhausting, then he's cruel. He's a mean God who uh, presents himself as being super loving, but really just wants to use us for his agendas. No, it must be that God is love through and through. And so when he gives love to us, he's being loving. And when he calls us to love him and others, that is being just as loving. It's bringing just as much freedom. So, uh, if the balance then is not between love and selfishness, because selfishness is actually exhausting, and if you've ever tried to be selfish, which I think we all do daily, but if you, if you make that a life pursuit, you know how exhausting that is. It never ends. It never fulfills. So if that's not the balance, then what is the balance? Well, we talk about this so much in our church, but it just needs to be said again. That's Matthew 10.8. Freely you have received, freely give. That the, that the sum of a healthy person holds in balance and tension the, uh, to freely receive and freely give love. But if you notice, it's all under the banner of love. And under that banner of love, we receive and we give, and it's done freely. There's no oppression. There's not, there's not, there's not obligation in the, in the sense of, uh, of, uh, of, a, of a weight that kind of betrays what our hearts want. It's freedom. And true freedom is found in the giving and the receiving of love. This is the thing that brings balance to our life. And so, yes, it's true that if all we do is give and not receive, that does put us out of balance and that is exhausting. But don't think that the receiving is somehow about being selfish. I think it takes as much humility and, um, and vulnerability to receive love as it, as it takes to give love. Uh, but, but what God says to us then is your life is complete as you live in a rhythm, it's almost like breathing, where you uh, inhale his love and exhale his love. And as we, as we walk in that rhythm, we find life and wholeness and freedom, and we find, as Jesus says, uh, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I'm full on the inside. You know, uh, I just feel so much joy in my heart following Jesus. There are days when I feel like I can hardly contain what's going on inside of me. I just feel so privileged to be a Christian. It, it brings me such joy to follow him and to help other people know who God is. It feels like the best life possible is not just to receive, but to give. Now, here's what I want to qualify. Okay, so it's all about love and healthy people give and receive. And we love because he first loved us. So that's the baseline, all right? But do we think that receiving is getting relief from giving? 
do we think still, you know, yeah, okay, it's about giving and receiving. Good, good. Because I didn't want you to say it was only about giving because I still believe in my heart that that's exhausting. And so it's got to be balanced off with something else. It's kind of like this, this idea of a vacation that, um, you know, I'll work hard, but I need a break. And I need a break because giving was so exhausting, I need some time off. I don't think this is what's going on in the gospel at all. It was life-giving to give, and it's going to be life-giving to receive. Everything's life-giving. I don't need a break from giving, but I need to walk in a rhythm of receiving and giving. But it's not because one was exhausting and the other isn't. It's all great, but healthy people receive and give. Healthy people are able to say, you have food that, uh, you know, I have food that you know nothing about. I am already nourished. I don't need to go on a vacation because I'm exhausted. I want to go on a vacation as what the Sabbath is described as being because it's been so great. I just want to enjoy the relationship with God even more. I just want to revel in, in all that he's been doing and just uh, rest and enjoy that with my friends. And uh, I, I don't need to be exhausted to go on a vacation. It's just part of all that it means to live in Jesus. Here's the point. And please grab hold of this. By faith, I think we have to grab hold of this. That receiving and giving are inseparable. They're all jumbled up into one experience called the love of God. And if we have to neatly, you know, divide up, am I receiving now or giving now? Because if I'm giving, well, I'll do that for a while, but I'm going to get tired. And so just don't forget, we've got to balance that off. You know, I think of a romantic relationship. I, I can't imagine a couple being deeply in love. And at the, at the end of every day, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're sitting up in bed and they pull out their scorecards. And they go, well, you know, how much giving did I do and receiving did I do and, and how did you do today? And oh, it looks like I gave a little bit more to you today than I received. So, you know, let's work on that tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? That when you're in a romantic relationship, no one is keeping score. Because love just doesn't think like that. I'm energized to love you, and I'm energized to receive from you. And I'm not thinking about balance in the sense that one is, is better than the other. I think about balance because I just want the fullness of love to be experienced in this relationship. And so I'm willing to be vulnerable in receiving and I'm willing to be vulnerable in giving because I know that you want to give to me and so I have to receive it. And I want to give to you and I want you to receive it. And like, it's just, it's love. Love brings life. Always, through and through, never has to be balanced. So when we look at the people of Israel then, what if God's invitation that we see in Exodus 16 is uh, what if this giving part, being a kingdom of priests, completed their freedom and deliverance from Egypt? What if it's not, it's not like, um, okay, I freed you and delivered you, and then now it's a bit of a payback. 
I mean, I'm not just going to give that freely away to just anybody. And so to balance the books, you have to do some stuff for me. No. Um, God says, I delivered you. I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. And now let's keep going. Because what I'm doing is I'm trying to love the nations. And I'm inviting you more deeply into myself with my with my mission and my desires, my longings, would you come with me on that journey? And you will find as much life there as you did when I delivered you out of Egypt. You see, what God was wanting to do was not just deliver them from the land of Egypt. He was trying to deliver them from the mindset of Egypt. And this was a harder journey. They left Egypt quite quickly but they carried the mindset for after they had left the land. And what is that mindset? There's an oppressive ruler, and my job in life is to survive. Nobody's looking out for me. Nobody loves me, so I've got to look out for myself. That's what I've learned in Egypt. It's not about trust, and uh, it's about everybody looking out for themselves and trying to survive life. And God comes along and he says, look, I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a rich and prosperous land. You'll actually take over houses that other people built. And the whole land is filled with rocks. Rocks is building material back then. It's, it's, you don't have to make bricks anymore. I'm just going to give you free bricks. And you get to build and be prosperous and, and grow your families and enjoy my presence. Oh, and it's, it's, it gets even better. You'll be able to be a kingdom of priests. And the nations around will say, who is your God? And you will speak of my glory and splendor, of my blessing. And that's part of the delight that you will have in being my people. Part of the privilege. So back to the original problem that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. What if, what if this tiredness that we feel is demonic? What if uh, what's really going on is Satan is trying to steal away your joy and mine by making love look bad, not look life-giving, not look nourishing. And he's saying, no, 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 balance that out. What if it's demonic? What if it's a demonic lie that's trying to keep you uh, being intimate, uh, impotent rather, uh, irrelevant, lonely, and small? And that, that God wants to liberate you from, from bondage and oppression and bring you in to a wide and spacious land, a land that is defined by love and trust in him. What if this is God's agenda, but Satan is actively working against you, stealing away your joy, and saying that doesn't bring joy at all. Selfishness is what really brings joy. It's a demonic lie. And we can't believe it. I think about, I, I think about my kids. I think about how, um, I mean, I just, I just love to love my kids. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just fun. I mean, first of all, they're amazing, uh, so it's, it's not hard, and then it's just so enjoyable. I just love the look on their face when they receive something or we get to do something together. It's just, it's just a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what brings me an equal amount of fun. 
is when we work together. And somehow, working together, follow me on this, it feels like it completes the relationship. It feels like the covenant is becoming fuller and more complete. That if love was only traveling one way, it wouldn't be as satisfying to me or to them. That they actually long to love me in return. And I long to receive that love. And so we, we love people together. Our, our kids, I don't, I don't know the, how clearly we've said it to them, but it just seems to be, you know, ab- they've absorbed it, that our family is about loving others. We're an inclusive family. And we don't just live to benefit self, we live to benefit others. And the joy that I feel loving Jesus and loving others with my kids, I can't describe to you. And the enemy wants to steal away that joy from you as a son or daughter of God. And he wants to keep your life small and have love only flow in one direction or you'll cry abuse and a mean God. No. No, the heart of the Father is loving towards you, whether he's carrying you on eagle's wings into a spacious land and, or whether he's calling you to love your neighbor. It's all about love and it's all about bringing you freedom from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin and self. So let me ask you in conclusion then, do you want to be free to love? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want Jesus to deliver you from a self-centered, survivalist mindset that's riddled with fear and insecurities and self-protection? Do you want him to liberate you? The only way that you will be fully liberated is not just by receiving, but by giving. Then your salvation will be complete. And this is what God is inviting us into this morning. To complete our salvation, in a sense. It won't be complete until glory. But to round out our salvation, where I am being, I am being liberated from the survival, oppressive mentality of Egypt, to be able to give and receive love in great abundance without any scorecards, because no one cares. We're too busy enjoying love. A relationship with Jesus sets us free. Today, we're going to be taking communion. And um, I hope you have some elements available to you. This is the perfect picture of the salvation that Jesus brings. What did we uh, read about last week? Tepiwa talked wonderfully about putting the blood on the doorposts. That's the wine, the forgiveness of sins. So they didn't come under the judgment that was upon that land. But what they also did is they ate the lamb. What was that for? It was sustenance, strength for the journey to leave bondage and to enter the promised land. They needed the strength to go forward. Well, this is exactly what we now experience in Christ. The forgiveness of sins, where the burden of our lovelessness has been lifted off of us. 
And then we've been be given the, the empowering of the Spirit, the strength of God to enable us to now love in his name and in his power. This is salvation to us. And when love is our motive, we are hungry for both of these things. We find nourishment in the receiving of love and the empowerment to give love away. So, let's look at this together then in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had, th had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Father, we thank you for the strength to love. We thank you that you don't just cancel a debt, you empower us to be born again, to have a new spirit within us that longs for love. We're not tired of loving. We want to love more because that's where the life of God is. And so we receive this as the, as the empowering to love, that, it, that, that, that love will, would nourish our souls just as receiving does. And so this is Christ's body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you that this life of love is not about our performance. It's not about a scorecard. The slate has been wiped clean. As we heard last week, you have absorbed our sin. You have paid the penalty for our sin. And it's no longer held against us. We're now free to love. With every act of kindness, it's not trying to prove anything. It's just expressing the freedom and joy that we have in Jesus. To love for the benefit of another, not to secure our own salvation. We thank you for the gift of the forgiveness of sins. That delivers us from the bondage of death and the oppression of the evil one. And we celebrate the life that is found in your blood. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for new life. We thank you that we don't have to be suspicious of your motives. You are love through and through. And we thank you that we get to share your love with you and with one another, and with the world. Thank you that giving and receiving is all messed up and jumbled up inside of you. That it's hard to tell the difference because we're so in love with you and just long to spread that love all around us. Would you liberate us this morning by your grace? Set us free from suspicion. Set us free from a self-protected life by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.